If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello there. So in this week's episode, instead of taking questions from a number of different parents, I decided to do a more thematic episode. And so I'm taking a series of questions from one parent about what she's worrying about and thinking about in launching her daughter to go off to college. In order to make that a more robust conversation, I also interviewed a 23-year-old young woman who's completely lovely, who shares with us what her experience was in going off to college and offers us parents of T1D kids some advice from her perspective of what she needed and wanted and was helpful and not helpful that her parents did and offered her. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Joanne. My name is Terry, and my daughter is Ava. She is 17, diagnosed at age three, and about to head to college. So I have questions for you, Joanne, about college. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. A handful of questions that I've been thinking about as she's about to look at schools and decide on schools and get accepted and figure all that out. The first question comes from an email I got, kind of a communication thread around how should we be looking at disabilities? Should she be thinking about her disability and disability offices as she's applying because people were asking about college counselors. Should they be advising which ones have disabilities office? My instinct was that every school nowadays has disability offices, but that is very important before she would do an early decision or a binding decision. Is that something to think about? I have to say, I don't know the answer to that in the way that you're asking it. I also would assume that any college would have a disabilities office, But yes, that seems truly like an important thing to make sure that they have, because I do think that registering as a student who needs extra support is important. When my son was in college, he never took a test in the same location as his classmates. He always took it someplace else because he needed the potential for extra time. So I think that, yes, I would make sure and I'd be shocked if someone didn't have a disabilities office. So that leads to the second question is, Do you recommend registering with the disability office and why? And what are the perks that you know of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely recommend that. It's a way that our kids are advocating for themselves. They're saying, I have this special set of circumstances, especially in school where things are often pressured and timed. If your kid is up all night with lows and therefore can't even make it, they're so tired to the test the next day, that should be on record as something that there's an open conversation about and an opportunity for her to advocate for herself so she doesn't have to press herself beyond what's possible. Like, why should she fail a test because she was up all night with diabetes lows? That should be something that she can advocate for herself and it's already a known factor in her experience, educational experience. I think for some kids, like I've worked with some kids who like the perk of they get parking closer to, you know, their dorm, whatever. There are lots of different perks. I think it depends on the school. But I personally, I think that it's 
both the act of advocating for oneself that's important and also the very real reality that sometimes test conditions need to be changed for our kids so that they can be successful. Like they might know all the material, but if their blood sugar is wonky or they've been up all night, they can't perform as well as they're capable of. And we want to give them every opportunity to do that. That makes a lot of sense. I, we, um, because we went to private, my daughter was at private school, we didn't have an official 504. So it didn't right. dawn on me that like that would be a college concern. Mm-hmm. Super helpful. What about roommates? Like, is it freshman year? Do you recommend what are the pros and cons of having a roommate or being alone? What do you think? Yeah, this is opinion, honestly, Terry. I think you could go either way with this. I think 18 year old, 19 year old kids, if they're awakened by your daughter's alarms going off, are more than likely to fall back asleep. When my son was going off to college, his endocrinologist said in no uncertain terms, he should have a roommate. He needs the support so that there's the safety. And my son advocated at his university that he did not want a roommate because he didn't want to be awakening anyone else uh, with alarms. And he never had a roommate and he survived, right? Like, so my doctor's premise that he would be unsafe wasn't really true. So I think it really could go either way. You know, I think part of a college experience, I'm putting that in quotes, is having a roommate. My son had a great college experience. So I feel like, you know, it's a little bit up to her. It's a little bit up to the school. She'll navigate that with her roommate if she has one. I think it's fine either way. Right. And there's so many other variables with freshmen getting freshmen getting along. Oh, totally. It's probably not the most yeah. dire one. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully, hopefully. On that same note, our worst fears as parents is that your child will be far away, even if they're an hour away. Like it doesn't matter if they're mm-hmm. an hour yeah. drive away or a five-hour plane flight away. The worst fear that they'll have a severe low at night. Thank God for Dexcoms and sensors. What do you recommend? Like, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, of course, it's your worst fear. And it's a, it's a reasonable thing to be thinking about, not from a panicked place, but from a structural place. Like, how can you help support her if that happens? How does she support herself? So one thing is, by your daughter's age, one would hope that she's already experimenting with some going away overnights on her own. Is that the case? Yes. Yeah. So she's playing with this skill which is great. That's exactly what you need is her to experiment with what she needs so that she stays safe. So part of it could be a conversation with her about how she would like to have your support if she would like to have your support. I know some kids, my son is one of them who wanted us on share for a while on Dexcom share. And at some point he just shut it off. He was done having us track him. But through the early years of college, we did track him and we had a system So that if he didn't wake up, if we called him and he was low, we had like his resident advisor, we had some other people we could reach out to just to create a safety net, certainly for that first year. And we did implement that one time. So I will say it helped him once. I know other kids who aren't interested in their parents being on share, and that's fine too. And those kids also are fine. And again, we're looking at advocacy, at self-advocacy. So the question is, are they able to share with their roommate or hallmates that they have this condition? And here's what it means for the roommate and hallmates. Like, if they're not up by a reasonable time, come tap me. You know, if you hear this alarm, it could mean this. Just not to scare anyone, just to provide that extra level of sort of community support. You know, it's a dialogue with your daughter about what she would like, but also what you would like. I think you're a player here still for a while, as long as your relationship is strong enough for her to take in 
what your concerns and needs are in there too, just to create some safety around her. I think that's all totally appropriate. That leads to the next question. Very flowing. My older son went off to school. He's non-diabetic and he wanted nothing to do with me for the first four months, you know, Mm -hmm. three months Mm -hmm. in a positive way. He wanted to individuate and we would talk maybe for 20 minutes once a week. So we did get a little catch up, but he did not want me checking in or texting or, but that I don't see that being possible with Ava, um, Mm -hmm. my daughter, because she's not at the maturity level of ordering her supplies yet or being aware of her supplies. Mm -hmm. And that is something we're going to have to check in beyond like communication with my child. What is an appropriate amount of diabetic tiger mom hovering? (laughs) (laughs) But it's not just up to her. That's the thing is where I'm not just going to ask her what works for her because any thoughts would be helpful. Well, I do think that leading with what works for her is wise. She is 17 years old and you are keeping the relationship with her strong by taking into serious consideration what she wants. That doesn't mean that it's not a dialogue between the two of you about what you also would like to see and what makes you a little anxious and where your needs come into consideration. Because I have always considered diabetes a family disease. And it's hard to have a like a drop off on that, right? Like a little slope would be nice, right? Instead of just you plunging off the edge. And I think that if you have managed, and it sounds like you have, to keep your relationship with your daughter strong and in a good place, then one would hope she would take into consideration some of your needs, even as you're very much leaning towards her needs, right? And her preferences. I think the ordering of supplies is the last place that most parents stay involved with their T1D kids. And if you have them on a regular ordering cycle, you probably aren't going to get behind and she won't get behind. And it's kind of good for them. That's a good place for them to have mistakes happen because they're actually kind of not catastrophic. Like it's no fun to go back onto shots and have to scramble for that. But that's the kind of learning curve that's just, it's sort of a natural, it's like a natural consequence learning curve. Like, oops, you forgot to tell mom. Oh, now you ran out of Dexcom. You're going to have to prick your finger. And that's going to be a little rough for a few days until you get it all together. Or my son, when he'd run out, he'd found all the people on campus who had diabetes and he would frantically text them and be like, do you have an extra Dexcom? I promise I can replace it in a week. Those are really good life lessons for them because it is, you know, how many times have I gone into the supply drawer to find empty boxes? So I didn't even get the visual cue that we needed to order supplies. So this is actually a place where I think it's okay for them to kind of fail a little bit because the worst case scenario is not so, so terrible. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, it's going to be imperfect. And I'm wondering also, it, it probably makes sense. And this is a very individual question, but like to keep the same insurance we have rather than go with the school insurance, mm-hmm. because we're, I would imagine, as long as we can. Yes, I think you can look into what the school insurance provides, but do your research in advance on that one for sure. My yeah. experience is they're kind of the same cost. That was my experience personally. And so... For one of my children, my diabetic child, we stayed with our insurance because that provided more supplies. And for my other non-diabetic child, we switched because everything, you know, she was going to be on campus. It was going to be easier for her to just get her medical care there because she didn't need that much. For your diabetic kid, yeah, it might be easier. 
And another issue, honestly, is getting the supplies to her, right? So just finding a reliable channel that they can get mailed to her because the mail rooms are not always super reliable at universities. So those are things you'll have to figure out with her. Yeah, good point. And I, I mean, I do know like with my son, he's on our insurance. He's non-diabetic. He can go to the health center for emergencies if he has, he just brings his card, his right. insurance card. Yeah. So it's it's a layering. The universities all have different structures. So I, I think it's worth a little bit of researching, but it's good that you're asking that question now because it is a very real issue for our diabetic kids. With the Office of Disabilities, just to backtrack a little. So I've heard some of the perks and it probably depends on the school are room assignment early often because they might need a solo or they might need to be not on the fourth floor walk up in case they're mm-hmm. low classes, like you said, to like have extended time, should they? Any other things that they, some offer, schools offer that we can look for? Like I said, there was one kid I had worked with that was parking privileges. I think it was a bigger university, right? So there was, uh, he could get a parking spot close to his dorm. I feel like maybe registering for classes early, but that seems so unlikely. Oh, I've heard that. No, I've heard that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that they get to be on the, the early side. Yeah. I don't know beyond that, honestly, Terry, because I haven't okay. had a breadth of experience with like what the disabilities offices offer. Yeah, I'll start reaching out to the ones where she's applying just to see what the different mm-hmm. scenarios, because that could be, I don't think it's going to be a deciding factor on what college to go to in 2022. That's my college questions. I, I guess my last question is now, senior year, mm-hmm. what, are, what are the milestones? What should I be what can I be supporting her? How can she be individuating? How should I pull back? What are her milestones? Like, what should she be doing to get ready for college? It's a good question. And I love that you have your eye on it, right? Because that's how we grow our adult children is by being a few steps ahead of them. So there's the obvious things, right, that have nothing to do with diabetes. Like she should know how to do her laundry. She should know how to, you know, those kinds of things, right? Make Hopefully her breakfast. She does. Maybe she should know how to. Well, she and actually eat it and eat it. Eating it for sure. She won't necessarily at all need to know how to make it her freshman year. But yeah, eating it. Actually, let me see if I can get this statistic right. If a kid goes to college knowing how to make three different dinners, they're considered an expert cook. Like the the bar is pretty low in college. So there are those things. And I think those things are really significant. I think with diabetes, I would be asking her. You mentioned that she spends nights away. She knows how to do that. Like what other milestones does she see that she needs to, or, or skills does she need to develop? I don't know her well enough to know what her skill set is. Like I imagine she's changing her own pump. She can do all those things, right? But those are important things that she should be able to do for sure. She might need to know about what to do. This is a little further down. I don't feel like this is a end of high school. This is a transitioning to college. She'll need to know if the system crashes on her in some way, right? Because that does happen. Who does she call? Not you, (laughs) because you are going to call someone else. So she needs to know how to reach her endocrinologist, how to get those support services, those kinds of things. And then I would recommend some kind of medical, I can't remember what it's called, but like a a signed uh, release basically that you keep a copy of so that when something happens and she ends up in the medical system in some way, you have a release to be able to talk to doctors and you don't have to work on that in that moment. That's a preparing for college thing that I think is really a sound thing to do and to have a a copy of it on your phone, you know, accessible, you don't file it deep in some file someplace that you don't remember, so that you can trot it out if you need it. 
Yeah, we have that with my non-diabetic. It's true. Once they're 18, you have yeah, no- you can't talk to anybody about anything. Yeah, you can't make decisions. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. And with our diabetic kids, generally, we want to be able to support them if something happens. And they might not need you, right? That's the thing is, at one point, my son ended up in the ER in college, and I felt terrible. He was across the country. And I felt like I should have been there with him. And you know what? He advocated for himself just fine. So it's like they build their own muscle despite our worries. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. A lot of detail worries, right? Like, are they going to remember to bring low supplies when they leave their dorm room on the third floor? Right. And they might not. And then they make friends with somebody who has sugar in their dorm room because they drink coffee and they have that and they figure it out. Like those things to me, again, are natural consequences and opportunities for them to learn how they need to take care of themselves. Okay. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. I'm sure I'll have more. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. Hi, I'm Alva. I'm 23 years old. I was diagnosed at the age of 16. Oh, okay, good. So a late diagnosis, like only a few years to get ready for college. Actually, one year. I went one to college year. when I was 17. So wow. right before my senior year of high school, I was okay. diagnosed. Okay. Yeah. So that was a lot, I bet, in your family. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how your family handled you heading off to college and how it was for you. Like that navigating that new learning, like as you're newly learning diabetes also, and navigating it with your family. That's a big question. I think the scariest thing for my parents right, was not having me around because I think what brought them comfort was, you know, if anything happened, I was nearby. So I think if we're talking from a parent's perspective, one of the biggest things we implemented before I went off was like the boundaries of communication, right? So there's like this small bit of like, I have my Dexcom shared with them. That was one thing that I agreed to for their sanity, for their Mm -hmm. sake of knowing I'm okay. We implemented like when I met my roommates, we made sure to have kind of like a diabetes talk and what that looked like. So we taught them like at that point it was glucagon. It wasn't vaccine yet. So we taught about vaccine what would happen if I was low, what would happen if I was high, kind of sharing contact information and that kind of thing. That's all really helpful. What I wonder is what was that like for you to have your parents so deep in your stuff, basically, as you're supposed to be launching yourself into the world and you got diagnosed late. So this was all new. Right. Well, it really varied from moment to moment. There were times where I'm like, I'm so grateful that they're so heavily involved because I needed that help. There were times where I was so overwhelmed that I was like, I need someone to kind of keep me in check with my diabetes. But there's also times where I was exploring 
that newfound freedom. And I was so frustrated that I still had like, you know, the nagging of my parents to keep me in check. But overall, I didn't find it to be too bad. I think at the end of the day, for me, it was important to realize that they just want me to be healthy and have everything under control. And so like navigating it from that perspective really helped me manage it. And I didn't find it to be too much of an overwhelming thing to have them so heavily involved. How did you guys talk about it? Like, did they approach it in a particular way? It sounds like that really was a negotiation. Like you recognized what their needs were and that was in the mix. And so I wonder how those discussions were. Recognizing that there needs to be compromise and recognizing again, like I said, that both sides are coming from the person with type one wanting to be healthy. So it was pretty easy to give that, like to go from that perspective, because I felt like they knew that there were certain things that I wanted to do on my own. So there was an agreement that, you know, wouldn't call me about my blood sugar unless it was at a certain level and it was like that for a certain amount of time, right? Because otherwise it would get really frustrating for me when I'm trying to manage it on my own and I have them telling me what to do, right? Because that's really frustrating when you are trying to take care of yourself and there are people telling you how to do it. So I think those types of compromises were really helpful. And also being flexible and continuing to talk about it because you know there's the onset of getting to college, but then things change, your schedule changes, your sleep changes, like all of that. Building that trust with your parents, your guardians, I think is super important Mm -hmm. as well. Lovely. I'm wondering actually about that. You mentioned that you were, um, did a training with roommates. Yeah. And that was part of the negotiation with your parents. Would that have been your choice? Like, did you want to out yourself with people? And how did you out yourself if you did or did not with other people? Right. For me, I'm pretty comfortable telling people. I feel like, you know, I literally wear diabetes on my sleep and my Dexcom on my arm. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I want to be safe. I want to be healthy. You know, blood sugar fluctuations can be very dangerous. And so I did want my roommates to know, like, what to do in case something happened. If my I went too low or if I went too high, who to contact, what to do. So for me, it was a no-brainer. I was okay with telling people. I was okay with having them. And I think it's different for everyone, but I would advocate that for anyone who's going to college. I think don't be afraid to tell people. It's not going to make you any different as you know, you've probably seen throughout your life. If there are people who make you feel different for having type 1, they're probably not the people you should be spending time with, you know? <laughs> and at the end of the day, I was really lucky because everyone was so supportive and everyone was like really... Like to my surprise, they wanted to learn more. They wanted to know how to help. You know, I was really comfortable with like my parents getting their phone numbers and stuff to call in case of emergency. Cause you know, there were times where like I was fast asleep and my blood sugar was 40 and I was not waking up and my parents had to call my roommates to like, Mm -hmm. so I think it's super important. At the end of the day, priority is health, safety, and everything was navigated from that standpoint. That's great. I wonder if you asked for any special accommodations at college with the university. Yes, I did. So both in undergrad and currently in my master's, I'm like doing the same accommodations. And the things that are really important for me were the devices, right? Because I have um, my pump and I have my Dexcom, which connects to my phone. Those two things, like, you know, they make noise, they, you need them during exams. It's not like you can 
you know, your blood sugar is not going to wait for you to take a test. Right. So making sure to get like technology access during my exams and how Mm -hmm. to do that in a way that was along with academic guidelines. So usually that looked like having my phone there and putting it on Bluetooth. I mean, on airplane mode with the Bluetooth on just so that my Dexcom was there. Extended time for exams. So Mm -hmm. if I had to treat a low or if I had to give insulin, I had that extra time to compensate for whatever I needed to do. And having access to just like, yeah, food and snacks in class, in certain classes that didn't allow that. And those I think were the really big ones. Along with that, if, you know, you feel hesitant about being the only person in the classroom doing an exam to have your phone out or your food out, and that's not something you're comfortable with, they also provide you with like a special room to take your exams in. So you can do that kind of a little bit more privately. Um, For me, that was one thing I did. Like I wanted to do that separate. I didn't want to be like eating in the middle of exam in like a big room. So I asked to take it like in a private or semi-private room. Yeah. My son did the same thing. I think he never took a test in the same room with his classmates. Yeah. And I think it's, it's super helpful because it can feel a little awkward mm-hmm. to do those things when it's super silent, you know, you're cracking out your packaging. Yep. My packaging, the, the Dexcom's beeping, <laughs> it's, it distracts from the exam for even me. So I wonder about drinking. And how you navigated that, like so much of the way people think about college experiences about people drinking, and I don't know, and you know, how you navigated it. Right, like that was a big thing. And it was also a big concern with my parents. Their one of their biggest concerns was drinking. And if I'm going to be safe when I was drinking, I always carried whenever I went out anywhere, the glucagon, lots of low snacks, and always make sure that like my pump was at full charge and that I always had enough insulin in my pump. Having diabetes never stopped me from exploring those college related things, but I made sure to do it all in a safe manner, like never getting too ahead of my limits, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think so. I'm wondering what that means though, never getting too ahead of my limits. Can you specify? If we're thinking, you know, from an alcohol perspective, like it's, there's a lot of peer pressure in undergrad. And I think at that age, we're so vulnerable to that kind of pressure. And it is really, really important to not give in from a health standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I knew that like, no matter what, I wouldn't drink past a certain amount Mm -hmm. because there were times where that happened. And obviously the effects the next day were not good. It's hard, right? Because peer pressure is really real, especially when you're trying to assimilate and make new friends and get acclimated in a new area. But doing it safely, having your like as a as a girl, like no one else took bags out with them. Like that wasn't a thing. But I was like, I'm always gonna take a bag with my glucose tablets, with my glucagon, all of it. Overall, it really never stopped me from doing anything. And also along with the roommates thing, making sure the people you're with. How did you learn what to do about drinking? (laughs) Unfortunately, probably trial and error. There were times where things did get out of hand and it really affected my blood sugars. Everything was always okay at the end, but, you know, definitely isn't a good feeling like Mm -hmm. on the body. But I did go like prior to going to college, I like found some like type one diabetes panels in my area where they brought students that were currently in undergrad and they kind of did the same thing where they spoke about their experience. Mm -hmm. And their kind of tips and tricks on how to navigate it. And I found that really helpful too. Right. We also had a diabetes club on campus, which was super nice. 
Yep. Those are helpful, especially, I don't know if you used it this way, but my son, if he ran out of supplies, he would borrow them from somebody else on campus. That was a huge thing. I would highly recommend finding that group because they always have stuff. There's always more people around that have type one. Yeah, that's true. Scariest moment. Like you've met, you've mentioned a few, you've mentioned bad blood sugars with drinking. You've mentioned a time you were 40 and your parents called your roommate. Yeah. Scariest moment like college. Mm-hmm. In college around diabetes. Scariest moment in college because of diabetes was after my 20th first birthday where I totally drank too much and I just like was throwing up for like 12 mm-hmm. hours and I couldn't hold down a single thing. Mm, like that's scary. It was really scary and I didn't realize how bad it was until after the fact like mm-hmm. ketones mm-hmm. and like my like I was so lucky that I didn't have any blood sugar fluctuations because whatever I tried to like consume I could like it it just I threw it up and that was really scary because it happened from like 2 a.m to 11 p.m the next day wow. where like I could not hold down anything that was a big learning moment and that like, like it. <laughs> yeah so that was pretty scary and that's why like going back to the drinking thing it's like really knowing your limits and not giving into peer pressure like I did that for what like three years before I turned 21 and even then I gave in right I I don't say this to scare people Mm -hmm. but it it is real and it happens like looking back on it I'm like maybe I should have gone and gotten IV at that point like maybe there were other things like I, I was lucky to have been at home and managed it and gotten out of it on the other end but it was it was very rough. That, that sounds very rough. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that too. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, it's good for people to know not to get scared, but to know like, yeah, when people say drinking affects your blood sugar, they're not saying it to get you yeah. to stop drinking. Yeah. I have yeah. one more question, which is, yeah. do you have a most triumphant moment, a moment around diabetes where you're like, wow, I did it. Oh my goodness. I wish I had these questions before. So I could think about it. There's so many with diabetes in general, we're making decisions. So like so many times per day, what we're going to eat, how much to dose, like what kind of exercise, what do I take before, you know, all these things. And so I think for me, at least like that tends to get ahead of me and I forget how hard it is even though it feels like a routine to live with it so there are times where I just sit there I'm like wow I do this every day and like that is something to be proud of the the little things are really big things that's awesome thank you so much Mm -hmm. to sum it up my biggest things are take care of yourself college can get ahead of you but don't neglect taking care of your health and your diabetes and don't be afraid to wear diabetes on your sleeve just because you're in college Those would be my two biggest things. Do you have any advice for parents? I'll say what my parents say. My my mom always knows how much she's nagging me. She's very aware of it. And she always says, like I've been saying, it's for your health. Please don't be mad at me. And so even if in those moments, I get so frustrated with my parents telling me what to do, I empathize with them and I get it. So I would... Tell parents not to worry too much, but it's normal to worry and don't be afraid to check in. Don't be afraid to check in. You want the best for them at the end of the day. So keep doing that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
You can count carbs by just glancing at the plate, but the challenges of diabetes keep coming, especially the ones that keep you on edge. If you want to feel more in control about the choices you make around diabetes management and learn how to think more flexibly about your kids' T1D, Sweet Talk's Put Diabetes in Its Place coaching course is for you. Check it out at www.diabetessweettalk.courses. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. 